It is Tuesday, May 30th. This is the Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and you're riding home with me from Panda Express in Calhoun, where I stopped to get dinner. So this is going to be a shorter show, probably like a show from the good old days when I worked in Calhoun. Also, like the good old days when I worked in Calhoun, I have a question in the inbox. Finally. Finally. I actually have three. So thank you for the two people who wrote in three questions. Even though Martha, instead of writing two emails, one for each question, wrote one wrote two questions in one email. I guess it's true what they say. Beggars can't be choosers. <clears throat> I haven't uploaded a show in forever. So I have two shows on my phone right now. And it was from, I guess, last Friday, or was it last, no, it was last Thursday, that was Friday, and last Tuesday. Thursday, I did not record a show, because I went to a baby shower at, uh, for work people at the president's house, not the president of the United States, the president of my company. I hung out there, and then when I left, it was later, and the Braves were on, it was a nice night, so I just rode around with the window down until I got on the freeway and listened to the Braves. So I didn't record a show because I wanted to listen to the Braves. And then Friday, this is sort of a weird excuse for not recording a show. Friday, I went to my great aunt's funeral in Fort Oglethorpe at lunchtime. And when I was about to get back on the freeway, I saw Costco. And I was having a big party on Saturday for my soccer team, our year-end banquet. So I went to that Costco and I bought a bunch of ribs and brisket and hot dogs. And chicken, come to think of it. I bought lots of meat to smoke and grill. So I had to drive straight home and finish the day from home on Friday. And since I was coming from Fort Oglethorpe, I had to keep my car really, really cold. So I had the air conditioner on full blast in the truck. I was in my, I was in my truck, and I had it as cold as it could get. So it would have been too loud to record a show. Also, it was so cold that it made me sick. So that's how cold it was. So now I'm only uh, getting back to recording a show here Tuesday on the way home from work. Like I said, I haven't uploaded the last two yet. It's been one thing after another. I had that party Saturday. Uh, Friday, I had I, you know, I was cooking at midnight. Sunday, Sunday afternoon, we went to the aquarium in Chattanooga and had a whole day up there. So I just haven't gotten around to uploading the show. Yesterday was a holiday. I did I did yard work. So sorry, haven't uploaded any shows. I had a show note for Thursday, but it's still in the truck. And it's good that I didn't do a show because now I have a question. So I have a full show for you. Today's show topic is Chick-fil-A diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. Maybe I'll call it diversity, equity, and inclusion at Chick-fil-A. <coughs> I was going to do a show about Target. And all their gay pride stuff, but you know, let's let's pick on Chick-fil-A instead because we all know Target's wicked. I have a question in the inbox 
about Jews and non-Jews who are saved in the end times. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. Oh, I'm already to the Adair's exit. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get this show in. Matthew chapter 22, verses 7 through 10. We're still talking about the parable of the wedding guests. So if you recall, the king has invited a bunch of wedding guests to his son's wedding for the feast. And they don't come. He sends out his servants. And they're, they're too busy. They, they're like, oh, I'm going to go about my business. Some of them even kill his servants. So the king is obviously mad. Verse 7. But the king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their cities on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you will find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went to the streets and gathered together all they found, both good and evil. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. There is nothing worse, more dishonorable or shameful than throwing a big party and then nobody comes and it's empty. I've talked about that before. Especially if the party is of, uh, is of for a person or being thrown by a person of, of a high standing. So in this case, it's the king. There's nobody of higher standing than the king. It's a privilege just to be invited and all of a sudden these people who are invited don't come. Let me give you an example from my personal life. Last Thursday, I was invited to a baby shower. It was a work event. It was after work, but it was people from work. It was a baby shower for our chief operating officer and our VP of extrusion, both of whom I work with, at the president's house. Do you think just saying no I'm going to go home that day instead would have been okay. Sorry, it's Thursday night. I'm going to go. I don't, I don't want to be. I'm going to be at work all day. So Thursday night at six, I'm not going to come to your party. I'm just going to go home and do whatever I want to do that night. That would not be okay. Nowhere does it say that on the Outlook invitation. But it would be completely dishonoring and shameful having been invited to a party at the president's house for those individuals and saying, you know what, I'm just not going to come. It would be just thumbing my nose at them for me or anybody else to not go to that party. Now, if there was something else that I, I had to do, there'd be no hard feelings in that situation. For example, the last time they had one of these parties, the board, a party for the board of directors or something like that, I couldn't go because I had soccer practice. I had a prior commitment with other people depending on me. But just to not go, what would that say about me or my character if I didn't go to that party? I mean, I perished the thought of me not going, you know, of me not going. Of course I was going to go. But it would have been an insult to the president and the people getting showered upon with baby gifts. And listen, these people don't need my baby gifts. It's a vice president and a COO. They don't, they're okay. You know what I mean? They don't need help. Like when you're young and you're having babies, like you don't have anything, so your friends get together and give you stuff. Or the same thing with wedding presents. I don't have a house yet, so I'm getting married. Me and my wife are 20 in 
and we're moving into our first house. We don't have plates. That's what happens at a wedding. If these people didn't need any presents from me or anybody else there. We were celebrating the occasion of their babies. The presents were a formality. <coughs> it's about showing love to the people and celebrating something together. So, what's that have to do with the Bible? Not much, other than to say, don't underestimate the dishonor that these wedding gifts, or that these wedding guests, or invited guests, I should say, because they never came, that these inviting, uh, inviting guests committed in the eyes of the king. They're really terrible people. Not only that, they, they killed the servants he sent to cajole them to come, which he shouldn't have had to do in the first place. Actually, go to the trouble of sending his servants out. I had a big party on Saturday. I spent a lot more than I should have probably on, on brisket. And I bought nine racks of ribs. Now, granted, I thought I was buying six. Because I was at Costco. It was a pack of three, not a pack of two. I bought nine racks of ribs. I bought a whole beef brisket. I bought Costco. You can't buy one pack of hot dogs at Costco. It was 24 hot dogs. I bought 10 pounds of chicken. I bought like 50 Cokes and, and 20, 30 bottles of water. Just loaded up. Cooked all this food. What if I'd have shown up and none of my players were there? What would that have said about me as a coach? Now, we did have a lot of girls missing because it was Labor Day weekend and they had trips planned. But I'm having this awards banquet. What if nobody would have come? I rented out my neighborhood clubhouse. I would have looked like a chump. These people are making the king look like a chump. And he had to cajole them to come in. They killed the slaves. So the enraged king raises his army and kills these people and burns their city down. They got what they deserved. Guess what? The wedding hall is still empty. They still need to have this wedding feast. What's a party without party goers? Who is going to witness the wedding feast of his son? So he tells his slaves, just go out into the streets and get whoever you find. Whoever, just grab them up and say, come on, as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. These are the people who weren't invited before, but people who are all too happy to come. And they go, and they found both good and evil, it says. In other words, the kind of people you would think to invite to a party, and the kind of people you wouldn't. There's no discrimination, it's just whoever they find out on the streets. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. The king is going to fill his hall with dinner guests one way or the other. He says, the ones I invited weren't worthy. Why weren't they worthy? Because they didn't come. If they had any worth about them, they would have come. They would have thought, what a great honor it is to be invited to the king's son's wedding feast. Let me go out of my way to come and buy him a present he doesn't need. People without worth or honor. Shameful people. So he goes out and gets other people, people probably of a lower 
stature in society, just random people out on the streets, but they have the decency to show up to the king's party when invited. Now before I end the Bible chapter review, I will point this out. This is about as close as it gets to a biblical example of what we call the general call and the uh, effectual call. The general call, these are theology terms, the general call is the call to get saved to everybody. When you say, repent and believe the good news, and you're talking to a whole group of people. You don't know who's elect and who's non-elect before the foundation of the world. That's the general call for, for, to everyone to repent. What is the effectual call? The effectual call is the call to repent and believe to those people who are elect who are actually going to repent and believe. So you're looking at everybody's invited to the party here, but only the certain people come. And, by the way, this parable is not about the general call and effectual call. Just like the parable of the wicked tenants is not about replacement theology. So I'm not trying to eisegete. I'm just trying to say, here we have these, these doctrines people have developed and are supposed to be rooted in Scripture. And you can at least find a shadow of them, if you will, in these parables. So when you're, when you're talking to those Calvinists, they might bring these up. <coughs> Alright, let's end the Bible chapter review right there. Finally, a question in the inbox. It is Jeff from Slow Driving Florida, who actually called me while I was at Costco, buying all this food, talking about replacement theology. And he has some friend of his at church who who believes that replacement theology is a thing, that yes, the Jews are Israel and the church is Israel, but there's some kind of in-between or middle ground where the Jews still have this special place different from the Christians, and that's evidenced in Ezekiel by the line of Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K, serving God in the temple. So you can Google Ezekiel, line of Zadok, if you want to see what I'm talking about. I think it's in Ezekiel 22. Maybe it's in Ezekiel 15. Maybe it's neither of those, because I didn't write the note down, and I forgot. But you can Google that. And Jeff's friend is using this passage to argue that there are some Jews, not Gentiles, who will have a special place serving the Lord in the eschaton because here they are serving the Lord in the eschatological temple described in Ezekiel and the people who are, are serving are undoubtedly Jews because they're of the Levitical line of Zadok so this is one of those things like our that's a lot of minutia to get into um, I really don't see what this has to do with replacement theology, but Jeff asked a question, so I'll answer it. So if someone, someone were to tell me that Jews in general still have a special place, because in Ezekiel it says that the line of Zadok will be serving God in the temple to the exclusion of others, I would say this. I would respond, and I'd say the line of Zadok here in this passage is, is serving God not only to the exclusion of 
of the rest of the world of Gentiles, but also to the exclusion of other Jews, even other Levites, because it says in the text that there were certain Levites who allowed other or idols or other worship practices to go on in the temple, and that offended God because Israel was rebellious. God, God is actually rebuking Israel in this passage, if you want to Google it and read it. And he says, but the line is Zadok, they didn't do any of this idolatry stuff. They served me faithfully, so they're going to serve me in this temple. So it's really not because they're Jews, it's because they're Levites who did not, as the other Levites did, engage in the idolatrous practices or allow the idolatrous practices among the wicked people of Israel who were rebellious. Furthermore, you, you really can't take too much of this eschatologically because God even talks about these people getting married. He says, and these people are only going to marry other people from the line of Zadok, not anybody else. They can only, they can marry priestly widows or other people from this line. They're like, why are these people getting married? Because didn't Jesus say in the resurrection that we will be like the angels and we're not married and and given in marriage when they were when the, the Sadducees who disbelieved the resurrection were asking Jesus about who a woman's going to be married to uh, if she had several husbands like she married uh, a guy and he dies so she married his brother this Levite marriage he dies and she marries his brother who she married to in the resurrection and Jesus says it's not like that so if Jesus says it's not like that in the resurrection that you're not getting married and these people are getting married why in the world are you using this as an example to say well see there's still some kind of special Jews this proves it it doesn't prove it to me you don't want to go outside of the intention of the text to make a point so the intention of the text is talking about how the Jews were rebellious and wrong and God's going to fix it and there's going to be a reward for the people who were not rebellious. Who do these people represent in the eschaton? I don't know. But I will say this, I don't think it has anything to do <coughs> with a special status of Jews or one group of Jews over another people in the eschaton. I really don't think it colors replacement theology at all. It's one of those things, I don't know if I can tell you what it means, but I can tell you what it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean it have anything to do with replacement theology. And the context tells me you can't just take one part and say, well, these people are set apart especially in their Jews. Okay, they are, but what about the other stuff they're supposed to do? Like them getting married, for example. Like, what does that have to do with it? Because we know what Jesus said about the resurrection. So, Jeff, I mean, I, I pretty much avoid these eschatological conversations altogether. I'll figure it out when it happens. People like to say, I'll wave to you as we're being raptured. I've heard people say that. Free mill people saying that to 8 mill people. But it, there's so much speculation that can happen, and I'm, I'm not going to speculate on that. But generally from Scripture, it's very apparent to me that the church is Israel, and Israel is a church. And to me... The, these people in the line of Zadok and Ezekiel whatever they're doing 
given the detail doesn't play into that at all. So that's how I would respond to that guy if he insisted on having a conversation about it. Which, I mean, who sits around talking about that? I'm trying to think of the act applicability of replacement theology and I would really say it's, it's avoiding people like John Hagee. We don't have to be Christian Zionists. We don't have to give you know, it, the secular nation of Israel any special status that other secular nations don't have. I just I don't see that biblically. <clears throat> I'd be like, well hold on. The church is Israel. We're t we need to take care of members of our own house. We've got to take care of the members of the church. Okay. So let's move on to diversity, equity, and inclusion at Chick-fil-A. So I saw uh, an article in Newsweek today about how Chick-fil-A may face a conservative backlash like Bud Light and Target are getting. So you remember Bud Light, which by the way, no Baptist ever, uh, Baptists have been, uh, let me put it this way, Baptists have been boycotting Bud Light since, for, uh, since John the Baptist, okay? Especially Baptists like me, alright? I don't... I don't drink beer. I think what Bud Light did by was gross by giving a can of Bud Light, like a special can to this Dylan Mulvaney character who's a man who says he's a woman for National Woman's Day. I, I think it was stupid. Number one, like, do you not understand who your target market is? What do you think the rednecks in jean shorts and no shirt and gold chains down at Talladega are going to think about that? All right, number one, you don't get it. Number two, sorry, I can't boycott something I don't do. I don't drink beer. And even like the bearded Calvinist Christians smoking cigars who drink beer, they, they probably drink Reformation beer or some kind of IPA. They probably, they're not going to the store drinking Bud Light. Uh, Target, you know, Target had bathing suits for people to tuck their junk back into for men. Like, ugh. Like women's bathing suits for men who, it's just the, Target's a disgusting company. Like putting pride displays right in front of the store. You want know, to go to buy a Nintendo game, you feel like you're walking into Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I was in Target a few months ago. And I, I I did the episode about boycotting Target, and I said I'm not calling for a boycott of Target, but I'm going to avoid going there unless I absolutely have to. And there's a you know, I hate I first of all, I'm a married man, I don't do a lot of shopping. And I told my wife the other day, don't go back to Target. I'm just don't. We're not gonna. I'm just. I don't want to deal with it. But I was in there a few months ago for a rare trip. I forget what I was there to get. It was I, maybe dog food was on. something I had to get at Target. And I don't want to go all the way down to Walmart. God knows on the other side of 41. And I was just felt so uncomfortable. Might have been last year around the same time. And I was like, I feel like I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm like, I don't want to be here when the fire and brimstone comes falling from the sky. I don't I don't want to be I don't want to look back at Target and turn into a pillar of salt. Now you just feel the wickedness there. And I don't I don't know that I've been back in there more than a couple times after that. And it might have been during one of these Pride months last year. I can't remember. I just remember being disgusted, be like, I'm glad I don't come here. Now I remember why I've been avoiding this place for a year. But Target has that controversy. But anyway, Newsweek was saying that well maybe now conservative Christians might boycott Chick-fil-A because they have a corporate officer, I think he's a VP, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we've all heard, like, especially those of us in the corporate workforce, <coughs> we've heard about the importance of diversity and inclusion, and then there's equity. And, and these sound like good things. Inclusion, we want to include people, don't we? We don't want to exclude people. 
we want everybody to have a seat <coughs> a seat at the table if they can contribute. Diversity too, by the way, in general is a good thing. If you're running a business, you don't want to have a bunch of engineers running your sales department, do you? Nor do you want a bunch of salespeople in, in your engineering department. I had a sales guy write me today asking me a question about some tool that I'd made for him. And I was just like, dude, it already does what you're asking me to make it do. Just click on it. You know, but salespeople may be good with other people and understanding what prices the market will bear. They don't do spreadsheets so much, I've found. So yeah, you want a diverse skill set. You do want diverse backgrounds because people have, you, you want as much life experience as you can and people have different life experiences and there's wisdom for that, okay? Those are good things. So we, we conservatives tend to think of diversity, but we're just trying to get, all right, we got 10 people, so three of them have to be black, one of them has to be Chinese, four can be white and two are Hispanic, and one's a woman, you know? We, got, we have to have the affirmative action quota. This is so terrible. That's really not, broadly speaking, what diversity is about. And businesses are out to make money. They, they wouldn't have people doing these kind of things, like managing diversity or making sure they have it if it didn't if it didn't at least pay for itself, buy a nickel. Okay. And then the other thing is equity. That's the really dangerous thing, by the way. Because there's a difference between equality, which is good, and equity, which sounds like equality, but it's not, and it can be bad. So the fact that Chick-fil-A has an officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion says something about the leadership of that company. And people tend to think that Christian, that Chick-fil-A is a Christian company because it's owned by Christians. It's, it's not a public company. It's owned by the Kathy family. It's closed on Sunday. So people can go to church. That's the reason they say why. Why are you closed on Sunday? Because Truett Kathy wanted people to go to church. Chick-fil-A makes millions and millions and millions. They'd make even more. Arguably one-seventh more if they were are open on Sunday, but they don't open on Sunday. So t people tend to think, oh, it's a Christian company because, you know, they're playing Christian music, like instrumental Christian music over the, over the uh, PA. So they're, people call that Muzak, just background music. Their Muzak is Christian music, but there's no words. Like if you go to Burger King, I have noticed the last couple times I've been to Burger King, they're playing some really good music on the radio. I like it. But if you go to Chick-fil-A, it's... And like, wait a second. I know you're playing Christian music, but there's no words. So unless you're a Christian who knows these songs from church, it's just music to you. But that's one of those, you know, overtly Christian things that they have at Chick-fil-A. They all are Christians. Well, why in the world would a Christian company have an officer of diversity, equity, inclusion, especially since it's privately owned? Now, I could understand, because I have worked in corporate America and big-time corporations, and there's a lot of social pressure. I remember when I worked at George Pacific, and I was in the audit department, we were working on some audit so we could get some seal of environmental approval. 
And this is Georgia Pacific. It's a, it's a paper company. They cut down trees. That's what they do. Or they buy trees from the people who've cut them down. So it was some kind of sustainable forestry badge that we wanted to have. And I'm like, who gives a flip? Why are we doing this? Because the Koch brothers who own Georgia Pacific and Koch Industries, one of them is dead. I think, is it David? David died. They're famously like uh, fiscally conservative libertarian type people who, who just like, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, do, do your business. Let the, let the, let the market decide. They're, they're big into market-based economies. They have something called market-based management there. <coughs> it's, um, I was, it's the opposite of a Keynesian company. There, there's a lot of thinking there that's like Friedman-esque. But I was like, why are we doing this? And they say, well, there's some customers who want us to have it. They don't want to buy from us unless we have it. And I say, ah, we're doing it to satisfy our customers. So our customers want this stupid sustainable forestry seal which in my mind was some kind of <laughs> like uh, extortion by some company who puts seals on things get our pay us to get our seal or you're not gonna you know, sell anything reminds me of the Southern po Poverty Law Center like we'll call you a hate group you know so that's why they did it so sometimes when you're in a big corporation in order to satisfy your customer you have to go through some sort of social process. When I worked at Field Turf, we had to have a social audit because one of our customers wanted to make sure we were, I'm, I'm not joking, wanted to make sure we weren't using slave labor. And I'm like, this is America in 2023. We're not using slave labor. But it was some international customer and they wanted to make sure of that. So there's hoops you have to jump through for your customers that companies might have. So I could imagine a company a public company having uh, having an officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion just for looks. But when you think of a privately owned Christian company whose consumers are millions of people who are hungry for chicken, especially in the South, <coughs> I don't think they would lose a half a percent of sales if they didn't have this. Because when people go to eat Chick-fil-A, they're not thinking about, well, they have an officer of diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, they go there, some people go there and think, I like the way I'm treated at Chick-fil-A. The employees are friendly and more clean-cut and competent. You know, some of these people working at the back of Popeyes and Bojangles, I'd, I'd be scared to death if I saw them at night in the city behind, you know, in a dark alley. But you, you, don't, you don't see people like that at Chick-fil-A. And that's not a racial comment either. Whatever the race of the person working at Chick-fil-A, they look like a highbrow person that you'd want to give a job to. Red and yellow, black and white, they all look like a very employable, polite people. Not all tatted up people that you'd be scared of. Who look like they just got out of prison. And you guys know what I'm talking about because you've been to Popeyes or Bojangles and looked in the back. And then you looked at the back of Chick-fil-A. And you know it's not about race. You guys know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so that's why people go there. Good food, good service. So what, it's not, nothing to do with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's equity that I want to focus on here. Because some of you guys may be unfamiliar with that term. My friend Joe is a Democrat. Okay, he's a longtime family friend. He's like family to me, but he is a Democrat. And he's involved in Democratic 
politics. I've talked about him on the show before. He is uh, <coughs> he's a minister, not as not professionally, but he went to the Methodist seminary. So he's liberal, and I'm conservative. And we were eating the other day. This is a long time ago. We were at Chili's hanging out, and he said, well, you know, don't, aren't you in favor of equity? And I was like, well, and I said this. I asked him, I said, explain to me what you mean by that. Because I want to say yes, but explain to me what you mean. And then he explained what it meant, and I said, no, I am not in favor of that. I, I am in favor of equality of opportunity, but not equality of outcomes. So the idea behind equity is that things are not equal. Some people have more money and more uh, resources than others, and some authority, namely the government, should redistribute those based on the history of races or ethnicity. That's what equity is. It's not you, are, you worked for it, so you earned it. It's you worked for it, but you might have had a better shot than somebody else, so we're going to redistribute it to them. That's the big democratic socialist idea of equity, and I'm having to go real short on this because I'm pulling into my driveway, and I've got my kids' food from Panda Express. So equity is a real leftist concept. And I, all this to say, church membership matters. Dan Cathy, Passion City Church, shining Lecrae's shoes, and now having an equity officer. And here's what I did. I googled Georgia Pacific to see if they had a diversity, equity, inclusion officer. They didn't. On their website, it says diversity and inclusion are important to them. Equity is a leftist concept, and it's made its way into a supposedly Christian company. How do you think it made, made it there? Because church membership matters. Watch out for the Louis Giglio churches of the world. Watch out for the Dan Cathy. People who can say they're Christian and go down the wrong path. Google equity, since I'm having to shorten the show. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless, and as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved.